0: Welcome to the Planet of Plenty podcast presented by Alltech. Every second, every day, there are people thinking, trying, testing, flying, investing, inspiring and applying new ideas with an insatiable drive to guarantee a world where people, animals and plants thrive.
1: I'm here with Dr. Taro Takahashi, a research scientist at Rothamsted Research in the UK. And um, Dr. Takahashi, thanks for joining us. Thank you. You gave two presentations at our conference here this year, one on soil health and one on beef production, and they have some kind of intertwined issues. So let's talk about both of them, but let's start with, um, with your thoughts on soil health, especially around the nitrogen cycling.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I gave this talk at the uh, Crop Science session, whereby um, I discussed the um, findings, uh, long-term experiment for um, and wheat production systems, and um, this is the um, oldest running um, scientific for such experiments in the world and um, listed on the Guinness World Books, and um, it started in eighteen forty-three. What we try to identify here is basically the sustainability of the uh, wheat production systems and how we can uh, manipulate the systems. The uh, um, conversation we had with the audience there was on how... The um and soil health and um, could be different when you have got continuously different um, and treatments to the soil. For example, when you apply different amounts of fertilizers or when you apply and um, different types of fertilizers, for example, inorganic and organic.
1: So go into some detail about the the different things that you see with inorganic versus organic fertilizer and And you said this soil trial started in
0: 1843, right? That's a long time ago. (laughs) That's a long time. So um, this year is our 176th year. And um, and some people just wonder why we keep doing the same thing year in, year out. But um, the thing about soil health is that the many soil health parameters, as we nowadays know it, are... Not very easy to change. Like for example, the total amount of carbon in the soil—it doesn't change overnight. So, when just how you, if you have, for example, the um, three-year project to work on the um, implication on soil health of um, and different um, treatment or different farm management, then you don't actually see a lot of difference there, and therefore you cannot derive any conclusion. By using the long-term data as um, we have got, uh, we can infer some of the long-term implications of what we are doing. And therefore, we can truly um, elucidate what sustainability really means and how we're going to achieve that. I thought it was very interesting that you're
1: talking about the different fates for nitrogen. When you When you add nitrogen to the soil, there are two things that can happen to that nitrogen, right? Talk a little bit about where the nitrogen goes and and how that system works.
0: Yes, sure. When uh, you just look at the uh, farming systems within a single season or a single year, then you tend to think that uh, you apply nitrogen and it either gets used by the crops or it doesn't get used by crops. And this concept, usually called the uh, nitrogen use efficiency, is not a very accurate summary of the long-term sustainability of farming systems because we actually have got the third option of um, having the soil maintain them and carry over um, for the next year's production. So if you think about the change in the nitrogen stock in the soil or for any um, nutrient for that matter, And then, and and the picture uh, is quite different. For example, when you just uh, compare the amount of fertilizer you are putting in this year versus the amount of the uh, grains you are harvesting this year, does not give you uh, the uh, the full picture. Okay,
1: so where, if uh, nitrogen doesn't stay in the soil, if you have excess nitrogen and it's not around next year, where did it go?
0: so and and sometimes and, and there are and cases where you lose them into the atmosphere in the form of for example nitrous oxide which is greenhouse gas or it could go underground and dissolve in water in the form of say nitrate or ammonium. So there are many ways that you could lose these uh, nutrients even when you apply. And our data show that in some cases, not all the time but in some cases, and uh, we are losing more than half of what we're putting in long term to um, these um, um um wastage if you like. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of wastage um, in the
1: big scheme of things. It is a lot. You said more than half of it can be lost. And that's, that's when you're applying inorganic fertilizer. Is
0: that right? Um, the, uh, the loss itself uh, can happen even when you apply them in the uh, organic form as well. But then, uh, what we found uh, interesting from this research was that uh, when you apply the uh, nitrogen in organic form, then uh, we find that unless you are putting a lot, of a lot of nitrogen, namely probably more than 250 kilograms per hectare, we are actually extracting some of the nitrogen from the soil long term. So that means that then even after 150 years, which we originally thought was um, long enough to uh, for the system to reach equilibrium, uh, we are still losing um, slightly um, the um, and soil organic um, carbon and soil organic nitrogen every year. So that means that then there is a possibility that if we keep doing this and year in, year out, at some stage, we are not able to, we will not be able to achieve the same level of yield no longer.
1: And so you're saying that that loss year after year uh, happens with either inorganic fertilizer or organic fertilizer?
0: No. Um, So obviously, um, it depends on on how much nitrogen you put in. So you have to come up with some comparative or... Com- comparable rather um, uh, amount of the nitrogen, so and um, uh, we came up with the uh, system whereby and um, one treatment of inorganic fertilization is comparable to an uh, organic fertilization um, in terms of the amount of nitrogen included in that packet of okay. the uh, fertilizer, and when you compare them um, apple to apple. Then what we found was that the extraction from the soil stock is happening much less when we apply um, the nitrogen in the form of organic fertilizer. And uh, in our case, um, we use manure from livestock for it, although there are many forms of organic amendments. And then um, we found that um, these um, results are most likely attributable to the um, uh, carbon Um, bonded to the nitrogen in the organic form. And then they, loosely speaking, they maintain the soil health.
1: Right. So um, you mentioned that manure is not the only form of organic fertilizer? What are some of the other forms that you might use?
0: Some farmers in the UK, for example, use the um, straws um, from the previous year's harvest as a part of the um, um, fertilization system. But the uh, challenge is that then um, sometimes the um, decomposition of these um, residuals is quite low. So and that means that um, unless you have got um, very unfavorable conditions, for example, sunshine and temperature and moisture, and those nitrogen may not be able to be used in the following year immediately. So, and, and manure, on the other hand, tends to get decomposed much more quickly. And therefore, um, for long-term production system, um, it might be an easier way to amend the soil organically. That said, um, the amount of Um, manure, we need to have a comparable um, amount of fertilization to what is quite standard in the UK for organic fertilization. We need about 35 tons of manure per hectare, and that's a lot. So how to secure it commercially is a huge challenge. And um, we don't know whether it is um, um, possible in a big, big um, On a large Uh, scale. as, As a method of social change.
1: Yeah. Okay. It is very important, obviously, to make sure that the nitrogen, that any excess nitrogen stays in the soil. Because all of the methods or all of the ways that you mentioned to lose a nitrogen have an environmental consequence. Nitrous oxide is a very potent greenhouse gas. And if you have nitrates or ammonia in your groundwater, or leaching into your streams, that's a, a very bad thing as well. Do you see regulations starting to come up about that it, that kind of affect
0: fertilization rates, or do you anticipate them in the future? One thing we have to be careful about this um, inorganic-organic and um, debate is that um, our research, as well as the um, um, other um, team's work recently, have shown that... Um, Usually, when you have got a more intensive system, for example, in organic system, then the carbon footprint or climate impact per a ton or kilogram of the output of grain is actually um, an lower. So that means that organic system is not necessarily environmentally friendlier, and um, in terms of the climate impacts. So, and, and you have to really um, the, um, strike the right balance between the um, um, soil health and long-term sustainability in terms of productivity uh, against the um, climate impacts, and, and then how we will deal with it. Yeah, it's a complicated system,
1: and. Uh, we need to keep learning more as climate change becomes a bigger issue. We want to make sure we're doing things that are effective and not shooting ourselves in the
0: foot. Yeah, exactly. So um, and, and that debate with the uh, very extreme um, polarizing opinions are probably a very dangerous thing to do because um, we have to achieve sustainability on many, many fronts. Soil health is one. And climate impact is one, ammonia is one, and many, many others. So, and, and to just say that the organic system is a paradise is probably misleading. But what we found was that the organic system has got an ability, probably a better capability, to and, and keep the soil health for a longer period of time. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about cattle and the efficiency
1: of cattle in producing food compared to other forms of livestock. Uh, I know that's kind of a common topic and people have assumed for years and years that beef cattle particularly have a lower efficiency than chickens or swine, right?
0: That's right. And in terms of the um, climate impacts, and um, it has been established for quite some time that the cattle systems have got much higher environmental burdens compared to monogastric systems, for example, poultry system and swine system. And, um, and that is indeed the case if you uh, compare, for example, 100 grams of meat cut versus 100 grams of meat cut. But um, and what we showed um, and uh, what we discussed in the and talk at the and, and cattle session this time around was that when you convert the um, unit of um, evaluation to nutritional value of the meat, then the carbon footprint of beef meat is actually very comparable to uh, um, poultry and, and swine meat and sometimes better than them.
1: So you're saying that it's a more dense source of nutrients as a food than pork or chicken?
0: Exactly. So and the reason why um, this phenomenon is observed is because um, and beef is much more nutritionally dense compared to uh, chicken meat and pork meat. For example, it has got much higher level of um, uh, minerals and vitamins, and therefore a small portion of steak has got basically a better package of human nutrition than the uh, white meat. So um, in terms of the uh, nutritional value, uh, the carbon footprint can be lower than white meat. And um, that is uh, a very encouraging news for beef farmers around the world. Having said that, the uh, nutrient density does not mean a lot if you overeat. Because um, if you eat a lot of nutritionally dense um, meat, then A, you don't actually need to eat that much, and B, um, you are probably contributing more to carbon footprint anyway by eating more. Um, So it doesn't, our finding doesn't negate the fact that um, cattle do produce um, methane from enteric fermentation far, far more than um, pigs and the uh, chickens, for example. But um, it does mean that um, when you look at the nutritional value and if you eat um, red meat in moderation, then you have got the chance that um, it is part, it can be part of the very sustainable food systems. It's a good point that uh, cattle do
1: produce methane to a greater degree than poultry or swine, but it's also worth mentioning that they can eat cellulose and fiber and convert that to meat to much greater
0: degree than poultry or swine, right? Absolutely. So and, and in the UK, as well as in the US here, and there are many parts um, of the uh, country whereby traditionally we have not been growing any cereals at all. And the reason is that, well, the grasslands are there for a reason. And probably we think we have traditionally thought that um, and the cereals do not grow there very well. Let's talk about
1: the idea that's come out recently of a meat tax. I know that there, there have been some stories in the press proposing that we should have a tax on meat um, to try to cut down on the greenhouse gas emissions from animal agriculture. You talked about some unanticipated consequences of that. And of course, every time there's a public policy debate, there are a lot of unanticipated consequences that need to be carefully examined.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we found them. Um, and it's a very interesting thing about the um, potential consequences of meat tax, and especially the uh, tax against beef production systems. So we created the uh, macroeconomic model to see what did really happen to the um, an economy, not only the farming economy, but the national economy when you um, and tax against the beef production. And what we found was that then um, just as the advocates of the uh, meat tax and argue. We also found out that the um, greenhouse gas emissions at the national scale will be lower because uh, many big producers will be deterred um, from um, producing um, um, more of the red meat. However, we also found that the uh, macroeconomy in the UK would shrink as a result of um, this taxation. And the reason is that um, as I mentioned earlier, there are many lands that are not really suitable for the uh, arable systems. So and if farmers are forced to change their farming systems um, on the traditionally grassland area, then that means that we will not achieve as much production and therefore we would be using the uh, land endowment um, inefficiently. And land is one of um, uh, the few resources that we have absolutely no control over in terms of the total amount available to us. And therefore, if we cannot make most of it, if we use them forcefully in an efficient manner, then, of course, uh, we will struggle, macroeconomically speaking.
1: Yeah, and I assume if we're not producing meat on grassland and there's uh, a push to produce more crops, then that means potentially more deforestation, which is a huge problem for greenhouse gas emissions.
0: Um, I'm not sure if um, deforestation will happen or not. But then what we're interested in and what we decided to measure from now on is, that, uh, is the uh, loss of carbon When we convert grassland into herbal land. And then these experiments have been um, um, taking place um, in many parts of the world, but then they are mostly in the area whereby we already believe that uh, we can produce a lot of cereals for human consumption. What we have decided to do to test this question really and to challenge our thinking process, if you like, is to combat and, and one of the four farms we have got on our research station in Devon, and that is traditionally a grassland area, and to an, an farm specialize in the production of the human edible food. So by doing that, we have to plow up the an, an permanent grassland we have got here for a long, long period of time. And then in so doing, we can measure how much carbon we would have to release from and the and soils. And then, um, if that happens, then obviously the fertilization or the fertility rather of the soil will be lower as well. And then um, that means that uh, potentially the uh, arable production might not be as high as we think because long term we will again lose carbon. And that is shown by our uh, uh, experience and from the long term experiment. Thank you very much, Dr.
1: Takahashi. We covered a lot of interesting topics there, and I appreciate you spending some time with
0: us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of a special Planet of Plenty series presented by Alltech. Every second, every day, there are people thinking, trying, testing, flying, investing, inspiring, and applying new ideas with an insatiable drive to guarantee a world where people, animals, and plants thrive. Discover their stories at planetofplenty.com.